ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so we were talking about the opening of the prayer when you do the first takbir and then you raise your hands. We mentioned that it's possible to raise the hands alongside the takbir at the same time. It is also possible to raise the hands before saying the takbir. And it's possible to raise the hands after saying the takbir also. Then we were talking about where do you raise the hands up to. And so we said minimum is up to the shoulders and going up to the ears Anywhere in between there is acceptable. From some of the mistakes that people make in raising the hands, that a person raises his hands up to his chest and not up to his shoulders. So that, as we said, is not enough. It must be at least to the level of the shoulders. Below that, some people only flick it up to the level of the chest. That is not correct. Also another mistake is that people put their fingers into their ears when they say the takbir. They place their finger into the ears when they say the takbir at the beginning. That is incorrect. Even touching the ears when saying the takbir is incorrect. So after you do that takbir then and you raise your hands facing the qibla, then after that you put your right hand on top of your left. The question now is, how do you do that? Whereabouts does the right hand go on the left hand? They go on your chest, but whereabouts does the right hand go? Whereabouts? On the arm, some people, you see them doing it all the way here. You see some people on the forearm, you see some people on the wrist, some people right on the hands. Where? And some people do that as well, hugging themselves. So, where does it go? Anywhere there or where? There are narrations. There are some hadith, for example in Bukhari, the hadith of Sahal ibn Sa'ad radiallahu anhu. He says in that hadith of Bukhari, the people were ordered to place the right hand on the left forearm. Not on the elbow, not on the wrist, in the middle, on the forearm. That is one narration in Bukhari. You have another narration in Sahih Muslim, Wa'il ibn Hujar. Radiallahu anhu, that he saw the Prophet ﷺ doing it as such. Meaning, in this narration, that the Prophet ﷺ was placing his hand on top of the left hand. That is possible. Hadith in Muslim. Putting your right hand on top of the left hand. So the Hadith in Bukhari, that was proving putting it on the forearm. Hadith in Muslim proves that the Prophet ﷺ also used to do it on the hand itself. And there is another narration in Nasa'i that the Prophet ﷺ used to put the hand across the hand, the wrist 
and going into the forearm. So above the wrist area. Above the wrist area, so your palm is going to be on top of the hand, on top of the wrist, and going into the forearm, your fingers. So three possible locations, either into the middle of the forearm, onto the hand directly, or over the wrist kind of area, with your fingers going into the forearm. Those three are all mentioned, and they are all permissible. Whether you place your hand onto the forearm, or you place it onto the hand, or you place it over the wrist area. All of those are mentioned in the sunnah. Uh, when people exaggerate and go right to the end, that isn't particularly mentioned, going all the way onto the elbow. But the furthest mentioned is onto the forearm. Sometimes in the congregation, in the row, you might be squeezed and your hands may go like that. That's not your fault. But normally when you pray, only up to the forearm maximum and up to the hand on this side. Where do the actual hands go then? So now let's say for example you put your hand around there. Where do this where do these hands go altogether? On the chest, up here near the neck, down on the stomach, even below the belly button, where do they go? Where do they go altogether? Upon the chest is the most authentic narrations. The most authentic narrations are that they go on top of the chest. The hands, they sit on the chest. There are some narrations that say, you can put them lower down, near the navel, the belly button, even below the belly button. But they are much weaker narrations. The strongest authentic sunnah is that you place your hands upon the chest. The narrations about below the belly button are weak. And that is what most of the scholars mention. Why or what is the wisdom in standing like that? What, what could be the wisdom that Allah has told us to pray with our hands like this? Some of the scholars they say, because it is a manner of standing with humility. It is a manner of humility standing in this way. It is a manner showing your humbleness, a manner showing your humility, your modesty before Allah. Some of the scholars say standing in this way, it is a sign of your humility, showing that you are a small servant of Allah. That is one of the possibilities of standing in that way. So, it goes above the chest then. It is a mistake then. It is not a strong sunnah to go below. And neither is it mentioned authentically to go above. Some people, you see them doing this. Right up to the neck. Some people on the neck almost strangling yourself. That isn't the way of the sunnah. You see people doing it. That is going too far. Placing your hands like this. Up here. Rather on the chest. On the chest area. So it is not correct to go too high or too low. Also with the head itself. Where is the head supposed to be? Your eyes are supposed to be looking. Down to the place of sujood. What about your head position? Is your head supposed to be level and your eyes just down or how? Head is supposed to be bent slightly downwards. Your head isn't supposed to be straight and then your eyes just looking down to the prostration part. 
The head is supposed to be slightly lowered as well. However, you do not lower it so much that your chin touches your chest. So you don't do this. You don't pray with your head lowered so far that your chin is touching here. You lower it, but there should still be a gap between the chin and your neck. Should still be a gap there. You don't lower it so much that it's all the way touching. So a slight lowering of the neck to show your humility also, of the head to show your humility also. So some of the people of knowledge said that you have to look down to the place of prostration and you're not supposed to look to the right or to the left. Uh, and in the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to start his prayer he did not used to look anywhere other than the place of his prostration. In Sahih al-Bukhari in the hadith of al-Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhu he says Whenever they used to pray with the Prophet ﷺ and he raised up his head from the bowing, we used to remain standing till we saw him prostrating. This is about when they used to go down into prostration. So they used to be standing and their eyesight is down to the place of prostration. When you finish the ruku'ah, this is going to come in more detail later, but when they used to finish the ruku'ah, and then you say takbir to go into prostration. You're not supposed to follow straight away. You're supposed to wait for the imam to go all the way down, his head to touch. Then you start going down. People are too fast. And we're going to get to that towards the end of the book. People are too fast. The minute the imam says, Allah, everybody's already gone. If you go in front of the imam, your prayer is invalid. You're supposed to wait. Let him finish. Allahu Akbar. And he goes down. Then you follow behind him. And we're going to come to that chapter later on. So this is just to show about their eyesight, how they could see. And they were looking down. They would see the Prophet ﷺ going down. He said, touching, and then they would go down. If a person is in Al-Masjid Al-Haram, and in front of him is the Kaaba, there are some scholars who say, if you're right in front of the Kaaba, then when you pray, you can look straight ahead at the Kaaba. Some scholars do say that. So if you're there, right in front of the Kaaba, you can pray looking straight forward at the Kaaba. Instead of looking at the prostration place, you can look straight to the Kaaba. It's an opinion of some scholars. As Shaykh Al-Athameen says here, no. Other scholars, they say no, even then. You should be looking down at the place of prostration. Also, what you have to be careful about is then, when you're praying and your head is slightly lowered and you're looking down at the place of prostration, the biggest mistake people make here is that they look around in prayer. You're praying and you see it all the time. You walk into the mosque and somebody's looking there, they're looking there and they're praying. They're looking that way, they're looking that way, they're looking this way. Haram to do that in the prayer. It is haram to look around in the prayer. You're supposed to be looking down and that's it. Your eyes are not supposed to be moving around here, there when you're praying. There is a narration uh, where it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith of Anas in Bukhari, what is wrong with those people who look towards the sky during the prayer? 
Prophet ﷺ said, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with them? What are they doing? Looking at the sky everywhere when they're praying. And then he said, they should stop. They need to stop. Otherwise, their eyesight may be snatched away. Hadith. It mentions that your eyesight may be taken away. If you carry on looking around here, there when you're praying. Prophet ﷺ said, what's wrong with those people looking around? They need to stop or their eyesight may be snatched away. Hadith in Bukhari. Also, the Prophet ﷺ threatened them, the people who look around in the prayer, that if they raise their eyesight during the prayer, then their eyesight may not be returned to them. And there is a mentioning in another hadith, how it says that their eyesight may be stolen from them, it may be snatched from them, it may not be returned back to them. So this is something severe, it is something serious, that the threat of blindness, the threat of blindness occurring to you, has been made upon the one who looks around during the prayer. The threat of being made blind, if you look around during the prayer. So it is a very serious thing and a person needs to make sure that their focus is down to the place of prostration and not looking around during the prayer. So now then, you're standing, you've done your opening takbir, you put your hands down, you're looking down, now the time comes to start reading. Now you're ready, you've done all of that, you need to start reading. So what is the first thing you start reading with? Nobody knows. So none of you know how to pray. What have you been doing? So one of the things you can open up with at the beginning is the opening supplication, which is a sunnah. It's not obligatory, but this is... Something you can open up with if you want to follow the sunnah properly and pray just like the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. Then you can open up initially with one of the opening supplications. And there are lots of different opening supplications, du'as that you open up your prayer with before you get to the Fatiha. There are several. So you can pick one of those opening supplications to start your prayer with and to open up your prayer with. The first one the Sheikh mentions in the book is the supplication which is mentioned Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya kama ba'adta bayna al-mashriqi wal-maghrib Oh Allah, distance, separate, set me apart from my sins just as you have set apart, you have separated the east from the west. O oh Allah, separate me from my sins. Separate my sins from me. Just as you have separated between the east and the west. East down there, west down there. So you say, Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya kama ba'adta bayna al-mashriq wa al-maghrib. Oh Allah, separate my sins from me just as you have separated the east from the west. Then, Allahumma naqqini min al-khataya kama yunaqqa thawbu al-abyadu min al-danas. Oh Allah, purify me, purify me from my sins, just like a white thawb is purified when you wash it. 
Purify me from my sins just like the dirt would be purified and washed away when you wash a white thobe, a white garment. And then, Allahumma ghsil khatayaya bil ma'i wa thalji wal barat. Oh Allah, cleanse me of my sins with snow and water and hail, the hailstorms. Oh Allah, cleanse me of my sins with the snow and the water and the hail. Cleanse me of my sins with those affairs. This is mentioned, this opening supplication is mentioned in various narrations. There is a hadith in Bukhari of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu who said, when the Prophet ﷺ made the takbir for prayer, the opening takbir, Allahu Akbar, he would be silent for a moment before starting the recitation. During the loud prayers, like in Maghrib or Isha or Fajr, he would say the takbir, and he wouldn't start straight away, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alam. There would be a small pause first. And it was not possible for the companions to leave any matter, small or big, except that they needed to understand it. So then Abu Huraira said to the Prophet ﷺ, May my parents be sacrificed for you. What do you say in the pause between the takbir and the recitation? He asked the Prophet ﷺ, that silence, you say the takbir and then nothing. Silence, then you begin the Fatiha. What do you read in that silence? What do you read in that silence? So then the Prophet ﷺ told him this dua. Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya. He taught him this particular dua. And this, the Shaykh says, is the most authentic hadith regarding it. Uh, even though the Shaykh says many of the Muslims don't know this particular dua. Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya kama ba'idta bayna al-mashriqi wal-maghribi. This dua, many of the Muslims don't know this opening supplication. But it is one of the most authentic. The Shaykh says the most authentic Opening supplication. Why does it say at the end, wash away my sins with water, with water and snow and hail? What's the meaning of that? Oh Allah, wash away my sins with water and snow and hail. Which is the opposite of fire. So water and snow and hail, it's all cold. It is the opposite of fire. Sins have within them heat. Sins have within them heat. Shaitan, hellfire. Sinning has heat within it. So you neutralize that and clean it away and wash it away with that which is opposite to it, the cold. The snow and the hail and the uh, uh, water. The second opening supplication that is possible. And perhaps this is the one that most people have memorized. And that is, Subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika wa tabaraka smuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa la ilaha ghayruk. This is a common one that many people have memorized. And this one means, Subhanaka Allahumma, how perfect you are, O Allah, free of any deficiencies. In perfection, Subhanaka Allahumma, wa bihamdika, and I praise you. You're talking about the glorification of Allah and the praise of Allah at the beginning. That Allah is in absolute perfection, free of any deficiency, and that all praise is to Him. 
سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك وتبارك اسمك blessed is your name تبارك اسمك blessed is your name وتعالى جدك and how lofty is your position ولا اله غيرك and none has the right to be worshipped except you this is narrated uh, in the uh, some of the narrations for example the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha in Abu Dawood and uh, there are some issues regarding this hadith according to some scholars but it is something which is also generally accepted Sahih Muslim he reported from Umar radiyallahu anhu that he used to say it out loud he used to say it out loud so that the people would learn it just as Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma used to recite the Fatiha in Janazah out loud occasionally so the people would learn it. So that is another one of them which is established and it can be recited as another one of the opening supplications. There is a third one here mentioned in the book. Anybody memorized the third one? The third one, it's a long one, an opening supplication. Sheikh mentions it here. وَجَّهْتُ وَجْهِيَ لِلَّذِي فَطَرَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ حَنِيفًا وَمَا أَنَا مِنَ الْمُشْرِكِينَ إِنَّ صَلَاتِ وَنُسُكِ وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهِ وَبِذَلِكَ أُمِرْتُ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَأَنَا مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ اللهم أنت الملك لا إله إلا أنت أنت ربي وأنا عبدك ظلمت نفسي واعترفت بذنبي فاغفر لي ذنوبي جميعا إنه لا يغفر الذنوب إلا أنت واهدني لأحسن الأخلاق لا يهدي لأحسنها إلا أنت واصرف عني سيئها لا يصرف عني سيئها إلا أنت لبيك وسعديك والخير كله في يديك والشر ليس إليك أنا بك وإليك تباركت وتعاليت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك That is an opening supplication too That is also mentioned And the meaning of it is I have turned my face sincerely towards He Towards Allah The one who created the heavens and the earth and I am not from those who associate partners to Allah. Indeed, my prayer, my sacrifice, my life, and my death are for Allah, Lord of all creation. No partner has He. With this I am commanded, and I am from the Muslims. And in one narration, I am the first of the Muslims. O oh Allah, You are the sovereign. None has the right to be worshipped except You. You are my Lord, and I am Your servant. I have wronged my soul, my soul and acknowledged my sin, so forgive me all of my sins, none forgives sins except you. Guide me to the best of characters, for none can guide it, guide to it except you. you uh, and deliver me, save me from the worst of the characters, for none can save me from that except you. Here I am in answer to your call, to serve you. All good is within your hands, and evil does not stem from you. 
I exist by your will and will return to you. Blessed and high are you, I seek your forgiveness and repent unto you. That is also one of the opening supplications. After one of these opening supplications, then what are you going to read next? After one of these opening supplications, what are you going to read next? So next comes the Al-Isti'adha. Al-Isti'adha is the next thing which comes and that is A'udhu Billah Shaytanir-Rajim Bismillahir-Rahmanir-Rahim What is the meaning of that? That is the next thing that you do, al-isti'adha, what is the meaning of it? A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajim. A'udhu billah, I seek refuge in Allah, meaning I ask Allah for protection. A'udhu billah, I am asking Allah for protection. I am asking Allah for refuge. I am asking Allah for safeguarding. I seek refuge in Allah. A'udhu Billah. That's what it means. A'udhu Billah. I seek refuge in Allah. I ask Allah to guard me, to protect me, to keep me safe. From what? A'udhu Billah. Min from a shaitan. From the shaitan. A'udhu Billah. I ask Allah to safeguard me, to give me refuge, to protect me from the shaitan ar-rajim. مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ الرَّجِيمِ What does that mean? So in translation, sometimes they say the accursed, the one whom Allah's curse is upon. لَعْنَةُ is upon him. That is possible. Also, الرَّجِيمِ in Arabic can mean the one who is pelted. When you get pellets, stones, and you pelt someone. Start throwing the stones on them. Rajim. And that is something mentioned in the Sunnah. It mentions about how the shayateen of the jinn, they do what? The shayateen of the jinn, they climb on top of each other's backs. And they start making a huge tower going upwards. One on top of this one's back, the next one on top of his back, the next one on top of his back. And they start going up and up and up until they reach right to the heavens. One on top of the back of the other. So then Allah has mentioned that one of the things which occurs is the shooting stars. Sometimes the shooting star may hit them before they manage to hear anything from the heavens. Or before they manage to pass anything on. And sometimes the shooting star may hit them, may hit that one at the top, after he's managed to pass on the what he heard. So sometimes the information manages to get through. Hears something from the heavens, passes it on, and the information gets through. And it comes down the chain to the bottom one, and what does he do with it? Information they've heard from the heavens now, so it's 100% true. What are they going to do with that information? 
they take it to the magicians and the fortune tellers and the card readers and the palm readers. The shayateen of the jinn go to them. Those types of people, they all are in worship to the shayateen of the jinn. Shayateen of the jinn have authority over them. Those magicians and fortune tellers and card readers, they all prostrate and worship the shayateen. So the shayateen are happy, they got these people worshipping them. In exchange, they'll give them that information. So now that card reader, palm reader, magician will sit there. People come to him, he tells them all sorts of lies and lies and lies. All lies made up magician. In amongst all of those lies, he'll add in this one truth. Those people will go away, everything he told them will be lies, none of it comes true, except that one thing, which will come true, because that was legitimate information taken from the heavens. So afterwards, what will they remember? Will they remember the thousands and thousands of things he's been telling them for years, none of them came true? Or will they remember that one thing that he told them and it happened? The only one that sticks in your mind is the one that happened. They're going to say, look, that's exactly what he said. Exactly how he said exactly it happened. That's the only one they're going to remember. All the lies and lies and lies, you forget them, they never happened. So they remember that one truth from all of the millions of lies. And that then gives them even more misguidance. They think the magicians are telling them the truth. And the fortune tellers are telling them the truth. And they are all liars. Anybody who claims to have knowledge of the unseen, it is kufr, kafir, baghut. So, a'udhu billahi min shaytanir rajim. I seek refuge in Allah from the shaytan, the accursed. And then after that, bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. What does Bismillah mean? What does Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim mean? Am I right in the name of Allah? But what does that mean? So what? In the name of Allah, what does it mean? In the name of Allah, I will do something. I will pray. So you're saying I'm going to begin this in the name of Allah, but what's the purpose? What's the meaning? It means al-isti'ana. Bismillah, it's like saying, astainu billah, on whatever you're going to do. Bismillah, when you say, I begin in the name of Allah, it's like saying, I am asking Allah for help in what I'm about to do. That's the meaning of saying, Bismillah. When you start something, Bismillah, it's like you're saying, Allah help me in what I'm about to do. Make me do it good. That's when you say Bismillah. You start with Bismillah first. Hoping everything's going to go good and everything's going to be okay. What you're about to do, hopefully it'll all go good. So you start with Bismillah. The meaning of that is that Bismillah, in the name of Allah, I'm asking Allah to help me in this what I'm going to do. That's the meaning of Bismillah. Astainu Billah. So when you're going to, for example, like when, when you read the books of the scholars, at the beginning of the book, the first line will be Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So they like, it's like they're saying, Oh Allah, I start in your name asking you to help me to write this book properly without mistakes, etc. When you start the khutbah, when you start classes, you begin Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Inna alhamdulillah, Bismillah, Oh Allah, I, in your name, I begin in your name asking you for help in what I'm about to deliver. So Bismillah means you're asking Allah for help in what you're going to do. So Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, at the beginning of the prayer, beginning of the prayer now, so you make your prayer good and proper, you begin with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Then, now then, 
you've stood, you've done your takbir, raised your hands, put your hands down, done one of the opening supplications, then a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Now you're going to start reading Surah Al-Fatiha. Now you're going to start reading Al-Fatiha. So the first line of Al-Fatiha, briefly, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. All praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdu here doesn't just mean the praise. Al in Arabic doesn't just mean the. Here it has another meaning, al-istighraq, which means it encompasses every type. Alhamdulillah, meaning therefore you're saying, I acknowledge and I say that all praise is due to Allah. Every praiseworthiness is for Allah. Alhamdulillah. Rabbil Alameen, the Lord of all of creation. Al-Alameen is everything besides Allah. Everything in creation is Al-Alameen. So all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of all of the creation, everything in creation. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, two of the names of Allah, indicating the mercy of Allah. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawmiddin, another one of the names of Allah, the owner of the day of judgment, which means what though? Maliki Yawmiddin, they say the owner of the day of judgment, the king of the day of judgment. What does it mean though? What's the point? Okay, Allah is the owner, the king of the day of judgment, and that means therefore, you recognize when you read that, Maliki Yawmiddin, that Allah is therefore going to hold you accountable on the day of judgment. That's the meaning of it. Maliki Yawmiddin, that you remember, Allah is the Lord of that day, He is the King of that day, the owner of that day, and therefore He will hold me accountable on that day and everything I do. If you notice here, it gives you the aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim indicates Allah is merciful. That gives you hope. Hope that Allah will forgive you. But then the very next ayah, Maliki Yawmiddin. Allah is the one in control of that day. He will hold you accountable on your deeds. That gives you fear. And that is how the believer is always supposed to be. Between hope and fear. You have hope, but you have fear. Hope Allah will forgive you, but fear for the sins you've done, etc. And the punishment. So in these two verses next to each other, there is hope and there is fear. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Then Iyaka na'budu wa Iyaka nasta'een You alone we worship and you alone we uh, or you alone we seek aid and assistance from and you alone we worship Saying it like that indicates restriction You could have said we worship you but instead it says you we worship Could have said we ask assistance from you instead it says from you we ask assistance. That's the way it is written in Arabic. Doing it that way indicates restriction. That you alone we ask for aid and assistance. You alone we worship and pray towards. Guide us to the 
Guide us to the straight path, the path of those whom you have blessed. Guidance is two types. Both of those types are meant in this ayah. Guide us, showing us the right path, and also guide us internally in our hearts to accept the right path. And place us upon the path of those whom you have blessed. Who are the four categories of people that are meant here? You're asking Allah to put you on the same path as the ones Allah has blessed. Who are the ones Allah has blessed and which path are you asking to be put on? Who are they? Prophets and messengers. The truthful ones. The shuhada, the martyrs. And the righteous, the salihun. You're asking to be made like them, like the righteous, the truthful, the martyrs, the prophets. You want to be on their path, alongside them. Hasuna ula'ika rafiqa, as the ayah mentions. How good they are as companions for you. So you're asking Allah to be put upon that path. Then you say, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمُ الْضَالِينَ Not upon the path of those whom your anger is upon. And nor upon the path of those who went misguided astray. Who are the ones whom Allah's anger is upon? As a characteristic. That's specific, as a characteristic overall. Who is the one that Allah's anger is upon overall? Those who know but they do not act upon their knowledge. Because then, that is the better way to explain it, because that characteristic could be in Muslims. You could be from the people who knows but you don't act upon your knowledge. So you should remember, the Jews were like that and Allah's anger is upon them. The ones who know but they don't act upon their knowledge, they conceal the knowledge. They didn't act upon it. They knew about Muhammad Sallallahu And they refused to accept it. Waladdalin and the misguided ones, they are the ones who tried to worship Allah without knowledge. Blindly this, that, the other. Like the Christians. Singing and hymns and baptizing and all types of things they do. No, had, no uh, evidences for them. Nothing mentioned in their religion about these things. Blindly doing things, hymns and singing and this is worship. Blindly worshiping without evidences. So you're asking Allah to keep you away from that characteristic. Don't end up as a Muslim who blindly just does things without evidences. That's what you're asking for in Fatiha when you're reading every prayer. How many people think about this? That is what you're supposed to be thinking about and that is what you're supposed to recognize. This is what you're asking Allah for when you're reciting that Fatiha. Fatiha is seven verses. And there is some discussion regarding this issue, but seven verses. First one is Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'een, Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqeem, Sirat Al-Ladheena An'amta Alayhim, Ghayr Al-Maghdubi Alayhim Al-Adhalim. Seven verses. There's a hadith of Abu Hurairah that Allah said, I have divided the Fatiha or the prayer between myself and my servant. So when the servant says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, then Allah says, My servant has praised me. And when the servant says, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah says, My servant has lauded me. Like praised me, similar. And when the servant says, Maliki Yawmiddin, then Allah says, My servant has glorified me. And then when the servant uh, and then he narrated, and then he, the narrator said once instead, my servant has entrusted himself to me. That Allah says, my servant has entrusted himself to me. 
Then when you say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Allah says, this is between me and my servant, and for my servant is what he asks for. And when he says, إِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمَ Allah says, this is between me and my servant, and for my servant is what he asks for. So you should remember and recognize, when you are praying, it is like a conversation between yourself and your Lord. It is like a conversation occurring between yourself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the next issue we're going to come to, which will begin the next time, is going to be, what is the ruling on reciting Al-Fatiha in the prayer? What is the ruling on reciting Al-Fatiha in the prayer? If somebody missed it by accident, is their prayer valid or is it not valid? When you're praying in Isha, for example, and the Imam's reading it, do you have to read it as well or not? In Maghrib, when the Imam reads out loud, do you have to read it as well or not? That's the issue we're going to start with next time because there is a difference of opinion about it. Whether you have to read as well or you don't have to read as well. So we'll begin on that section next time. Any questions on that so far? Concerning the hadith you mentioned about um, uh, the threat of blindness, um, within the meaning of the hadith, um, could the threat not necessarily be literal? Could it mean, say, blindness from the haq, for example? Some scholars have mentioned it's possible this could be the meaning. Because uh, there's other narrations, they talk about your head being turned into that of a donkey. For certain other things, there are some narrations that mention these types of things. Your head may be turned into the your head may be turned into the head of a donkey. Some scholars said that could mean the meaning of it could be not literally that you'll be turned into the head of a donkey. That's not been evidenced anywhere. They say maybe it could be the meaning behind it. A donkey is known to be a characteristic of a donkey is it's known to be foolish, foolish. no no sense. So they say maybe the meaning of the hadith is if you do certain things, your head will be turned into the head of a donkey, you'll be made foolish. Your sense will go, you'll be made into a foolish person. So possibly some scholars may say that too, for this narration as well. That it means blindness from the truth. Because again, uh, the interpretation is possible there. It's possible. Uh, But for the scholars who typically give the explanations... They'll say, when you explain these narrations, you leave them upon the apparent meaning. That's uh, something the Salaf used to do. Leave it upon its apparent meaning, because the apparent meaning gives the full level of threat upon a person. So you're blinded in your eyes, and perhaps on top of that, blinded in the heart. Rather than negating one and approving the other only. So, generally saying that both are possible. Blinded literally, physically could be a punishment and a threat is possible. And it's not something you should negate from the meaning of the hadith. And the other is something added on you could say as well. Not necessarily. It doesn't make a huge difference. It could be holding it. You could just be putting it flat. That's not a big difference. It's not a big issue. The point is, as long as it's on top. Mm. You know, the open supplication. Is it better to cite that more often or subhanakallahumma? Or is it better to alternate? 
you can alternate between them, but you should not recite more than one in any given prayer. So there we've mentioned three. You shouldn't read all three of them at the beginning of a prayer. Pick one for one prayer, next prayer pick another one, next prayer pick another one. Alternate between them is good. Uh, later on we're going to get to a chapter at the end of the book where the Sheikh talks about these issues. There are certain things in the prayer where you have choices. Like there, in the opening supplication, you have choices. Sheikh says when you have choices, it's best to alternate between them. If they are all authentic choices. Like here, they are basically proven. So one prayer do one, another prayer do a different one, another prayer do a different one. Alternate between them is better. That way you're implementing all of the sunnah, all of the hadith, all of the supplications. Salam. The opening supplication is not required anyway. It is not a pillar or a wajib of the prayer. It's a sunnah act. So if you join late in the middle of the prayer, it would be more suitable, according to mostly the evidences, to just listen to the imam's fatiha or recite your own fatiha as we're going to get to it next week. But most scholars there would say you do not start with the opening supplication if you're joining in late in the middle. You haven't got time for it yet. You know, if you go through prayer and you missed your maghrib and they start the shah, then we do this last week. Last week you missed the class. (laughs) This was the question we did last week. So, who remembers the answer? You go to Isha, Iqama is just happening for Isha. You haven't prayed maghrib yet. So, you're going to join in now for the jama'ah, but you're going to pray maghrib. They're praying Isha. After the third raka'ah, they're going to. Get up, what are you going to do? So you have two choices. Mostly the scholars say either, obviously you can't get up, you can't, because you're praying Maghrib, three raka'at, you can't get up and pray four. So you got to stay sitting down. One option the scholars say is then you stay sitting down, just finish your prayer, read the things, tashahud, everything, finish, salam, salam, finish. And then get up and maybe catch them and start your first one of Isha. You could do that. Or the scholars say stay sitting after the third one, read the tashahud, everything, and just stay sitting down, wait. Let them finish their raka'ah, everything, and then they'll come and sit down as well. Just wait, wait, wait. When the imam gives salam, give salam with everybody together. With everybody. So just stay sitting after the third one, do your thing, and just wait for them. When they finish everything, come, give salam together. The first opinion, stay sitting, finish, and just get up and start joining Ishafa's raka'ah. So two options. Conclude there then. Next week, same time after Asta still seven o'clock next week or what? Yeah. So seven fifteen again next week, inshallah. Straight after the prayer, seven fifteen next week again, inshallah. Yeah.